great to be here worshiping with you, and, uh, and it's just awesome to be able to see the choir up here. We have them up here a couple of times a year to go after it. May God get all the glory, and all of God's people said, always about him. May we always make it about Jesus Christ as we celebrate, right? So we're in a series here called Summit Life, Summit Life, and we're walking through what it means to have this kind of mountaintop experience with your God daily, regularly ongoing. What does it mean to belong, pursue, and experience your living God? Like, Lord, help me taste deeply and richly of you. And so each of the weeks here, we've been walking through what it means to experience God in some new and unique way. Each week, we were seeing God work with someone, and he brought them into a unique moment with him, and he showed them a great part of himself. And And uh, we started this back in the beginning of September, and we're walking week by week on the different facets of what we can experience in our God. And uh, today, we're actually looking at what it means to experience His healing, to experience His healing. God brings spiritual healing. God brings emotional healing, and at times, God even brings physical healing. We lean on Him. He is in charge in this world. And may we experience the touch of our King doing amazing work along the way. And all of God's people said, right, experiencing healing along the way. So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 18. 2 Kings 4, verse 18, and we're going to learn how to experience his healing. And first point, first step here, when in times of great pain, run to the feet of your almighty God. When in times of great pain, run to the feet of your almighty God. Right? We cannot experience healing from our God if we're not running to him and leaning on him. May God get all the glory. Right? And so, Lord, help us to learn to run to you. Before we dive into this passage, super important that we grasp context. All right? Really important that we grasp context. And, and so this in 2 Kings 4, we're picking up. You can see by the title of the book we're in, right? Kings. So we're in the uh, early part of the Old Testament, right? And, and this is when the kings were ruling in Israel. And so we talked a little bit about that last week. One of the kings that was leading last week, Ahab, and this prophet Elijah that was working with him. And all that went down with that is God brought fire from heaven down to Mount Carmel. And we're going to see that word Mount Carmel again today and even. And so Elijah was last week. He was this great prophet that was uh, really coming against some of what was going on in sin with some of the kings. And Elijah stood up for his God. And this week we've got another prophet. So last week was Elijah, right? Everybody just say Elijah. Okay, don't miss the J on that. Elijah, this week, is the guy who took it over after him, Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. Okay, so Elijah was last week. This week, Elisha. Both of them prophets of God, both of them working with the kings and trying to get them to come along. Elisha taking a pretty firm stand along the way here, and we end up seeing him do some work throughout Israel, mostly northern Israel. In fact, he stopped into this uh, town that was called Shunem, and he stayed in this town a lot and interacted there. Shunem, it wasn't very far from Mount Carmel. 
In fact, it was just a couple of miles away. And so that whole story we looked at last week with the fire coming down and the Baal worship that lost and our God wins and all of that at Mount Carmel, just a couple of miles away from Shunem. And uh, they were uh, there a number of times doing ministry in different ways and he really had no place to stay. He was staying back at Mount Carmel. And so it meant traveling back and forth. At one point, somebody who was a little more well-to-do there said, you know what we should do? We should put like a bed upstairs in our house. We should make a room for him, kind of a bed and breakfast spot for the prophet so that he could stay here when he's in the town. And they did that and he ended up staying there. Elisha actually had a place at this Shunammite home, okay? And it's really important we understand that. It's going to take part in the storyline in just a little bit here. But as he stayed there, he noticed something. This family was a little bit sad and the woman especially a little bit sad. She had no kids. And so as a prophet interacting with God along the way, God ended up saying, hey, here's what I'm going to be doing and I'm just letting you know about it. And God often talked through his prophet and let his prophet know what was coming next. And I said, heads up, this time next year, this woman is going to be with child. And so the prophet is told to go ahead and tell her that. So he goes and says to her, you just need to know, this time next year, you're going to be with child. And she, her response was like, do not toy with me. Be careful. Like, don't play around. Don't deceive me. You better be for real on this. Like, this is a super big deal. Are you serious? Please, don't toy with my emotions. And, and he's like, no, for real. This is coming down. And, and you can imagine the amount of heartache that she had been going through and how this begins to get her hopes up. And she's like, please don't get my hopes up if it's not reality. And he's like, no, it is for real. Well, it turns out exactly that happened because when God speaks, it is. And all of God's people said, huge deal. And so God's like, no, this is it. We're going for it. She ends up having this child and this child ends up growing up with her over the years. And that's where we pick the story up. So here we go. Second Kings chapter 4 starting in verse 18. It says, when the child had grown, now the word child here still means little one and had grown. So you're probably looking at somebody in the age of four, five, six, maybe seven years old, somewhere in there, okay? Still young, right? Everybody say child. Still a child, but growing up, okay? And uh, it says, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And uh, so the child, old enough to speak and to reason through what's going on, and something had happened. He had an extreme headache going on. It was a bad moment. And he went out to his dad to let him know, Dad, I'm really hurt. And he says, my head, my head, the father said to his servant. So in case you were wondering if these guys had a little bit of money, right? He said to his servant, uh, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. Let's just hold there. So we have somebody who's well-to-do. They're caring for the prophet. They've made a bed and breakfast for him at the house. He stayed there. He ended up promising a child. The child has come along. The child is growing up. The child has now come to dad saying, my head, dad. He says, hey, servant, take this one back to mom child comes back, mom holds him on her lap and is just rocking him back and forth. Can you imagine a life without Advil and a life without MRIs 
and a life without being able to go to the ER and figure it out. And as she's rocking the child, and as she's longing with all she's got for whatever it is that he has to pass, it says that she carried him to his mother, and when he had lifted him up and brought him to his mother, the child sat there till noon, hours and hours, and then he died. Tragic. Horrible hurt and loss. I can't even imagine the moment the mom holding this little one who became such a promise of hope. Taken. He passed away. It says, she went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God. Everybody say, that's Elisha. She took him upstairs to the bed and breakfast moment and went into the bedroom, laid him down on the bed, and she shut the door behind her. You can imagine that as she set his lifeless body down onto this bed of this man of God, they had made this for this prophet. And this overwhelming thought going through your head of, come on, this can't be it. And as you walk back out and you grab the door and you're closing the door, can you imagine the last moments of that door closing? And as you hear it click shut, click. You're wondering if it's maybe the last time that you're going to be in and around him. The door shuts behind him, and she went out. It says, then she called to her husband, and she said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God, everybody say, that's Elisha, and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. Everybody say clueless. I don't know what he's thinking. I can't believe that this is the question. Now the reality is she's just lost her son. And, and he's concerned for her. And, and he's hurting as well. And she's devastated. The biggest fear he's got is, is she losing it? She's like, I got to go over to the prophet now. And he's like, why? It's not new moon or Sabbath. Just so you know, um, in the Jewish culture, it's huge to celebrate. And every month starts with a new moon. That's when it's fully black. You know, it's like all round and just black. You can't see anything. Uh, full moon is like mid-month. But new moon, that blackened moon, is the beginning of the Jewish month, right? And so every beginning of the month, they would have a celebration. They would rally together. He's like, it's not that. He's like, it's not Sabbath either. It's not the seventh day of every week where we would get together and rest and relax What's called in scripture a holy convocation, a time set apart to rally together and make much of our God. It's neither of those. So what are you thinking? Are you sure you're thinking squarely? And she said, all is well. All is well. Now, some of your translations say, all will be well, right? And uh, I'm just going to tell you this, the verb is not in there. This is what she said. She said, shalom. She used a noun. She said, peace. And it's not clear if she means peace right now or peace eventually, but I'm telling you, 
hang on. I'm just telling you this. This woman is not preparing to have a funeral. This woman is preparing to see a resurrection. That's what's going on. This woman is in a moment where she is like, hang on. I'm going to talk to the prophet. All is well. Then she saddled the donkey. Everybody say, that's not right. What in the world, man? She calls the servant. She's got her husband standing there. They're concerned. This little one has just passed away. They know she is devastated with grief. Now she starts to hoist up and saddle the donkey. Why? Because they're not moving. She's like, saddle it up. I'm going. And they're like, hon, there's no new moon. And, and it's not Sabbath. You just, just relax. And she's like, if you're not going to do it, I'm doing it. We're going. And she begins to saddle the donkey herself. She saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Remember that mountain, Mount Carmel, right? And so she's living over on Mount Moray. It's just a little bit away. And she's going to Mount Carmel and she's like, hang on, I need you to go with me. We're going to Mount Carmel. We're talking to the prophet. I don't want this donkey slowing down. You get this thing moving and we are going to haul. Are you with me? Right? She has a plan in mind. She is going to try to get to the closest place she can get to get to God. She is reaching out to the God of the universe who has given her a promise of hope and she is longing for him to do a miracle work. And please hear me, make sure you don't go to God just to get. Make sure you go to God in worship and you're celebrating him and you're going to him. It's super important that we grasp that. And as she begins to get ready to rock, she's like, I'm getting to the man of God, the one who is closest to Yahweh, that I might hear from him directly. You know, it's a World Series time around here, and uh, some of us, many of us are devastated already. Life is over, right? But uh, World Series time is going on, and uh, it's kind of a weird season right now. At which teams are winning and which teams are losing and which teams are moving forward. And, and uh, it's a different year this year. And maybe who you would have projected to come through isn't necessarily there right now. And, and uh, the World Series, it's always exciting to watch the uh, playoff season and to be able to see what's going on. Huge deal to watch the baseball season. And so I thought just a little illustrate from the baseball era. So uh, there was a guy, his name was Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson. He is the only guy ever, everybody say ever, the only guy ever to get the MVP and he was on the losing team. Just let that settle for a moment. You decide to give the MVP out, 1960, to a second baseman. You give it to the losing team second baseman. I don't know what that says about the rest of his team, but they're like, dude, you were awesome. If you had half a team with you, you could have won this thing. 
right? Something. I don't know what they're saying. They're like, MVP of this series goes to the losing team second baseman player, Bobby Richardson. Here's the beauty of it. Bobby Richardson, super humble guy, and he was actually also a follower of Christ, a believer, loved the Lord. He was asked to speak at an FCA conference a number of years after that. And as he was speaking at the FCA conference, it was time for him to pray. And he came out with a prayer, a prayer that I've shared here before. But this was his prayer, very simple. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. That is a power prayer. May we grasp what it is to come to our God with that simple battle cry. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. And are you wrestling? Are you hurting? Are you struggling? Maybe it's emotional hurt. Maybe it's spiritual hurt. Maybe there's physical sickness going on. And are you coming to your God with the simple battle cry statement? Lord, I am running to you with all I've got. Dear God, your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Hand the whole of your problem to him. And how are you doing with that battle cry? Are you giving your problem to your God? All of it. That his will might be accomplished. Huge deal. Man, if we're going to experience healing, we need to learn that battle cry with all we've got. May we bring it with all we've got. Second, persistently cry out until you have received a clear answer. Persistently cry out until you have received a clear answer. Man, power prayer is not one shot. Power prayer is not, Lord, could you do something here? All right, I prayed. That's not, everybody say not that. Power prayer, man, is over and over and over till you clearly see God has answered. God may say, yes, I'm in. That's exactly where I'm headed. God may say, no, I'm headed a different direction and we're doing something here. Hang on. There's something bigger going on. Trust me. God has an answer. And until it's clear, you're bringing it to your God. That's power prayer. Persistent with all we've got. Persistently cry out until you have received a clear answer. Remember the Shunammite woman has gotten on this donkey. She has taken off. She is headed for Mount Carmel. She is longing to get into the presence of God and she is knowing the best way to do that is get to this man of God. It says, when the man of God, everybody say that's Elisha, saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. 
Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? He literally can recognize the person from afar. That's how much he knows her. He's like on Mount Carmel somewhere. We don't know where or how high up. It's not an extremely high mountain, but or it's really, mountain is kind of overblown. When we use the word mountain, we think mountain. Mount is a little more appropriate. Big hill, okay? She's on top, he's on top of a big hill and he's able to look out and he can see her coming and he's like, that's the woman. That's the one I know from Shunem. Why don't you run down and check and see how she's doing? And so he runs down and he asks, is all well with you, with your husband, with your child? And, and the woman answered him, all is well. Some of your Bibles say, all will be well. And again, there is no verb in this statement. She says, shalom. That's all she says. They're moving. He's like, is all well? And she's like, shalom. Like, I am going to talk to the man of God. And he's like, no, really, you can talk to me. And she's like, thanks, no thanks. I'm moving on. I'm trying to get to the one I want to talk to. Peace. Now, is she saying peace right now? All is good. That would be a little ludicrous. Maybe that she's saying everything's fine. But maybe she's saying, I'm trusting in my God. God's got this. All will be well, all is well, I'm coming to my God, hang on. But she certainly didn't stop to have a theological conversation about this position, right? She's not walking along and she's like, well, let's talk about this for a minute. Really, when God is over everything and he's sovereign, I believe that I'm not talking to you, shalom. And she keeps moving, right? That's what's going on as this woman passes by the servant and continues on. She says, all is well, shalom. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. Can you imagine that moment? Don't miss it. She is hurrying with all she's got. She's coming miles as fast as she can. She comes up a hill, a steep hill. She's out of breath. She's probably sweating profusely. She is nervous as all get out. She's devastated with all she's got. She gets to the presence of God Almighty, this man of God there, and the first thing she does is throw herself down onto his feet and cling with all she's got. You know weeping began right there. As she grabs on, as she is now in the presence of her God, and the one that she knows is closest to him. And she is longing for something to happen. She had told the servant all is well. She comes in and she has now thrown herself at the feet of Elisha. And Gehazi came to push her away. Everybody say that's a terrible plan. Okay. She grabs on and she starts clinging to the man of God. And he's like, miss, I'm sorry, we don't touch him. Can you please back off? Can you please step away? Like he's trying to bring a little distance into this heated emotional moment. But the man of God, everybody say that's Elisha, said, leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Elisha's like, look, man, I usually get told by God when something huge is going on. This is huge. And God chose for me not to know, and I don't know why. 
because I would have gone to her. But God chose for me not to know, and so I'm sitting here clueless, and she is at my feet, weeping and in absolute distress. Hang on. We take care of those who are hurting, and we hurt with them. Hang on. Man, don't ever miss this moment. If you're meeting with or talking with someone that is in devastation, don't have one of those ridiculous Christianese phrases that tries to oversimplify the problem. Yes, God is sovereign, and yes, God has a plan, and yes, he's working things out, and yes, those are all true, and yes, it's still devastating. And all of God's people said, don't miss it. Hurt with them in the middle of the heartache. He's devastated with her. He's devastated for her. He's like, God hadn't told me this, and so I want to hear what's going on. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Talking back to when he said, hang on, you're going to have a child. And she goes, don't toy with me. And now she has this child, and the little one has passed away. And she's like, seriously? This is what I was talking about. I am devastated. Didn't I say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand, and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if, you, if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. He's like, hear me. Hike up your robe. Tie it up. Why? It's time to run, bro. You do not walk. You get that robe hiked up. Am I clear? Just so we're clear, this is socially not cool. Just so we're clear, socially, this is like, dude, you're showing me your legs. Please don't do that. Like, there's, there's rules around this. Doesn't matter. Break the rule. I want you running right now. Hike that robe up, tie it off, and you take off. By the way, if somebody tries to stop you, hey, Gahazi, how's it going? You're not going to talk to him. You're not like, oh, it's going good. I got to do some things though. Nothing. No words. You keep moving. If you have time and breath to talk, you're not running fast enough. Move. Get there as fast as you can. Gehazi's like, okay. And then, Jewish rule, when somebody says hello to you, always stop and say hello to them. Not now. If they say hi, you just keep on booking. That's the way it goes. By the way, Here's my staff. God has worked with me and through me and there is power with me and he tends to use my staff as a symbol of the presence of God. So you take this as a symbol of the presence of God Almighty and you go. And you put my presence and God Almighty's presence into that room on his face that life might come back to him. Then... The mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Uh, don't you love it when moms have a strong passion for what needs to be done and they're like, bro, your staff ain't going to get it done for me. I'm with you and I'm coming with you wherever you go. That's not going to be enough. We're going to go fix the problem. May God get all the glory. Please, I'm hanging with you who's hanging with God. May we truly 
work this out. And I will not leave you. So he arose and he followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child is not awakened. Man, you've got to see this scene. As he comes running in, Gehazi is sweating. He's got his robe hiked. He's breathing hard with all he's got. He runs in. He gets shown to the upper room. He comes in. He opens the door slowly. He walks in with this staff. Sets it down. Nothing. How long do you stay there before you bring that message back? It doesn't say, but I'm just telling you, there's no way I leave in two seconds. Now I'm like, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't want to leave too early. Lord, do I just leave the staff here? God, I'm not sure what I should do next. And right, the whole stir of emotions, it starts going through Gehazi as nothing is happening. All the people that are outside, they're like, Elisha's servant is here with the staff, and he's put it on. <laughs> What's happening? And he, and he comes out. Not yet. I don't see I'm going to have to go talk to Elisha. And he starts running back. Imagine being family members there. And the devastation you're now feeling. And the hope that's going down even lower. As he runs off and he gets to Elisha again out of breath. And he's just shaking his head. And he says, the child. child didn't awake. Like this isn't a sickness problem. This isn't a sleeping problem. This is way, way worse. Elisha doesn't stop on the journey. He's continuing on. And we'll pick it up in the third point. Just know in the middle of your heartache, when you've heard answers of no or hang on, Keep going. Stay in it. Persistence with your God, longing to see him move. You never know which way God is moving. Trust him. Many of you know all that's gone on in our family's life, in my life recently here. The last seven years have been uh, quite the journey. And, uh, 2012 was... A very rough year of uh, just plummeting energy and hormones were collapsing and we were finding different ones out collapsing throughout the year and couldn't figure out causes. And by early 2013, January, February, we were getting to the bottom of some things and Mayo was able to diagnose that I actually had a, a brain tumor, a tumor that was pressing on the pituitary and crushing all my hormones and it needed to come out fast. I was like, so like a couple of months we need to do this or what are you saying? And the guy's like, no, like now, 
like this is life and death, like in six months you could be blind, like you may not survive if we don't get at this, it's time to address it now. And so we went on a quick turn in two weeks there, we went, got up to Mayo and got surgery done to uh, remove or resect that tumor. And they pulled a good part of it back and it allowed some of my pituitary to start coming back and I started getting some hormone back. But the tumor kept growing. The catch is along that journey, we didn't just walk into it and go, okay, well, I'll just do the surgery. The first thing we did is rally our family together and say, everybody on the couch that we affectionately started calling the war couch. And we prayed on that couch and we cried out, God, we don't know what you're doing and we're fine with whatever. We lean on you for this, but God, our prayer, could you please take this tumor away? That's our request, Lord. Just take it away. Each of us, each of the four of us praying tears and crying out, God, we're leaning on you. As we went into that surgery and I'm realizing blindness could come from this. It may not go well. I remember going down that hallway saying, Lord, I give all of this to you and whatever you see fit, then that's the way it is. I'm in. Lord, I requested you to a work. As the tumor was pulled back some and hormones were allowed to start rolling again, I started feeling better. Praise God for that. But it wasn't long and the tumor was starting to grow again. And in 2015, we had to hit the war couch big time again. And we all rallied to the war couch and we rallied you guys both times in this body just so phenomenal and praying over and praying for us and praying with us. And we just so aware we were not alone as we walked that journey. This time we did the surgery local and we went after a massive resection of the tumor and they got so much of it out. Praise God for that. And three years later, the tumor was growing again. And we continued to be praying throughout that sequence, Lord God, your will, please, your will. We hit the war couch again. And that's amazing to look at how old our daughters were from the first run until the last run. And as we went to do the surgery in April of 2018, uh, got much of it out. It was a horrible uh, back end to that surgery, bluntly. Uh, the dizziness was horrific. It lasted a lot longer than the others. The pain was bad. Um, and they said, look, it's, we just can't keep doing surgeries. This is complex. And it's growing again. And we're going to have to do something. So six months later, which was last November, I ended up going in for an extensive gamma knife radiation to try to kill it that way. And we prayed again, and we called you guys to pray again. And we went in for gamma knife. This was a really, really long gamma knife. Uh, it ended up being like three hours where they end up screwing stuff into your head and, and then lock you down to a table. And I was down for like three and a half hours as they did this. I didn't know how bad it looked until others came in the room. <laughs> and then they look at you and they're like, <laughs> and you're like, does it look that bad? It doesn't feel that bad. You know, like they used anesthetizing secrets. So I didn't feel it, but I didn't have a mirror until later and got to see what was going on. And your stuff screwed into you and screwed down to a table and staying there for three and a half hours as they blast the living snot out of this tumor and our prayers that it would go away 
And uh, at this point, we had a little good news, which is it does seem to be going down a little bit. Praise God for that. But man, we are continuing to hit and storm the throne of grace. It's God's will that we're longing for. Lord, your will. Nothing more. Nothing less. Nothing else. And we're continuing to go to that throne of grace. And all of God's people said. And so we praise God that it could be resected. And we praise God that so far it's done a little bit of retracting in size from the radiation. But I'm telling you, the war isn't over. We've had moments of up and down with the hormones and trying to figure things out. And and, uh, praise God it is shrinking a little at this time. And we will continue to go to our God. Because my God can. My God will. And even if my God doesn't, we will worship him. Amen? Amen, man. How about you? What are you struggling with? What do you need to lay before your God with absolute persistence? Maybe it's emotional, spiritual hurts that you need to bring before him. Maybe it's physical and it's time to say, Lord, I'm not toying with this in just some clinical way. I'm bringing this to the God who can answer anything. Are you ready to bring your struggle with persistence and trust that God might get all the glory? And all of God's people said, If we're going to see God heal, we're going to come with absolute and trusting and persistence. Number three, worship your God as he works mightily. Whatever he chooses to do in whatever way he chooses to do it, may we worship him. And uh, the servant had just gotten back to Elisha and said, the child had not awakened When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. In case you weren't clear of what the problem is, Scripture is super clear. The child had passed away. So Elisha went in and he shut the door behind the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Do not walk through this world without bringing your greatest hurts to your God Almighty. And he prayed to the Lord. He brought it with all he had. I can't even imagine what that thunderous moment of prayer was like as Elisha closed the door and cried out to Yahweh, Oh God, I'm coming before you now. And I'm laying this down as he brought his hope and his request as he laid it all before the sovereign God of the universe. Verse 34. Then he went up and he laid on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. It's fair if you read that to say, what? It's fair, okay? Like, what is he thinking about? And uh, I'm just telling you, 1 Kings chapter 17, you don't have to turn there. 
Elijah, remember we're talking about Elisha, go back to the guy before it, Elijah, when he went to raise a child, he laid down on top of him, his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, and his hands to his hands. So part of what Elisha is doing is like, oh God, please, will you please raise this, this one up? It's not, it's not happening. God, I saw you work with Elijah on this. I've seen you work with my mentor like this. I'm doing what he did. And he lays down on top of, he's following what his mentor did, but more than that, it's a symbol and a model of what the Holy Spirit is being called out to do. Lord, will you put your breath into his breath? Will you put his sight, your sight into his sight? Will you put your action into his action? Lord God, will you move? Holy Spirit, will you infuse? As a symbol of it, I'm laying on top of as the mediator between. It says, and he stretched himself upon him and the flesh of the child became warm. And the flesh of the child became warm. And that is a huge deal. That is like, bring it. Can you imagine being Elisha in that moment as he's laying on top of and he's beginning to feel this child warm up? Remember, it's been quite a while. She went miles away. They had a conversation. Now they've come miles back. This has been a while. And uh, the child became warm. Then he, gave, he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and he went up and stretched himself over him again. Do not miss what's going on with the not knowing of what, what God will do. As Elisha is laying on him and crying out to the Yahweh that he knows, he's beginning to feel him warm up, but he's not breathing and it's not working. And what do I do now? And so he stands up and he walks across the room and he walks back. We're doing this again. I felt him getting warm and he lays down on and he goes back to persistence with his God. And he lays down on him again. And he stretched himself upon him and said, and the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And the child sneezed how many times? It's God's number, right? And the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now, here's the deal. When we read scripture, we read way too passively. And so our job here today is to live this passage. And so you have a job to do. And so as I read through this piece again, when the child became warm, our job is to say, Bring it. You ready? And the child became warm. Louder and bigger. All right? Get ready. That's one job. And then the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. That's my God with all you've got. Ready? Here we go. This is experiencing what Elisha experienced. Are you ready? It says... Then he went up and he lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Not even close. The flesh of the child became warm. 
All right. Elisha's like, this could be it. He gets up. He walks around. Maybe. I don't know. All right. Hang on. He gets back over him. Then he got up. He walked back and forth to the house. He went up and he stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Amen, man. That's this passage. Don't miss it. As he is stretched out and this child sneezes seven times and he moves back. Doesn't say that, but that's had to be what happened, right? And he stands up and he's like, that's my God. That's what I'm talking about. My God heals. My God is sovereign. My God moves. And he chooses the right time and the right place and I lean on him. And so thank you, Lord, that this is one of those that you choose to move with a yes. This is awesome. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. You know he said that. With the biggest smile on his face he could have ever had. As he says, go get the Shunammite woman. Servant comes. Elisha wants to talk to you. Why? Elisha wants to talk to you. Just come with me. Why? You know that had to happen, right? She's not like, oh, okay. Like, what's going on? Come with me, right? They get up there. As she walks in the room, Elisha says, pick up your son. What would you do if you were that woman? She came and she fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. She came over to Elisha and dropped to her knees and threw her arms around and she worshiped and she bowed and she celebrated the God who does miracles. Don't ever miss out on this. In the middle of our prayer, as we long for God to do a work, when he begins to do the work, don't walk away from him. That is a moment of power worship, and he gets our first attention. And all of God's people said, first step was extremely thankful worship as she bowed down in awe. Then she went over, and she picked up her son, and she went out. It's amazing how little emotion is shared in that story moment. I can't even imagine. As she goes over and he is sitting up and tears are just streaming down her eyes and she throws her arms around and she pulls him in close and holds him like she's never held him before and she scoops up his legs and she walks out with a laughter in her soul because she knows the God who heals. And all of God's people said, simple question, what do you need to bring to your God? It's time for us to do it right now. May we trust in the God who heals. All of God's people said, let's pray.